When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Pensburg Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Bahanna, and uh, alongside me is fellow Pensburg contributor, Robbie Noggle. Robbie, it looks like we finally have something positive to talk about, even if we are a day late. Uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins finally get off the schneid. They finally right the ship, in, insert cliche here, because they finally ended their seven-game losing streak Defeating the Washington Capitals on Wednesday by a score of four to one, and uh, let's dive right into it because we have a very large mailbag, and uh, the Penguins really haven't played a whole heck of a lot of games since our last podcast episode, anyway. And the thing I want to talk about with you, Robbie, is uh, the the bottom six is definitely a work in progress, and we're going to touch on that. I know individually in in the mailbag segment with a couple of questions. It looks like Mike Sullivan might be listening to this podcast because during the Washington Capitals game, he uh, he made some changes to his defensive pairings. Marcus Pedersen was promoted to the top pair. Meanwhile, P.O. Joseph got the jump into the top four alongside Jeff Petrie, and Brian Dumoulin was playing some sheltered minutes alongside Jan Ruda. Now look, uh, I, I talk about all the time how we can't draw conclusions off of such limited sample sizes and a 60 minute hockey game against a Washington Capitals team that was dealing with a myriad of injuries in their own right. 
uh, isn't the greatest sort of sample to take, but the fact remains the Penguins get the two points. They end their losing streak, and that's all really all that matters when you're on a seven-game losing streak is you win any way you can, even if it's the ugliest one nothing game in the history of professional hockey. So with that, Robbie, um, let, let's let's hyper-focus just a tiny bit on this game and uh, give me your impressions. I, I thought overall the Penguins outplayed the Capitals. Granted, like I said, uh, the Capitals were dealing with a ton of injuries, but a win is a win. I'm glad to see Brian Dumoulin it, it sounds selfish to say get demoted, but for the betterment of the team, I'm glad to see him at least playing some sheltered minutes and trying to, you know, re-scramble the defense pairings uh, as best as Mike Sullivan can. So I'll hand it over to you, Robbie. Uh, what did you like and maybe what did you not like from the Washington Capitals game where the Penguins finally snap their losing streak? Yeah, when you're on a seven-game losing streak, I don't care if you beat an AHL team at that point. Just take a win, get the two points, and I don't care what the other team's doing with injury-wise or whether they're bad or good or whatever. You just take the two points and uh, just bank the win and try to build off of it. But yeah, good win for the Penguins uh, against a division rival, against a team that, like you said, is kind of going through their own stuff at the moment. It's kind of uh, it's kind of weird how the Penguins and Capitals, they've been on this – discussion of when does it finally the bottom finally fall out when does the window finally close they've been kind of on that same path so it's kind of interesting to see them kind of going through these struggles uh at the same time and how they both fight through it will be interesting to see but uh the big takeaway from this game is that overall uh, like you said a win a win a win is a win you take it bank it take the two points and uh, just feel good about yourself for uh for the next 24 48 hours because uh, it's been a struggle for the Penguins. It's no secret. Um, we talked about it last week and how just everything just is not going well uh, during that seven game win, that seven game losing streak. But hey, you never know what a win can do for you. And from this game uh, itself, outside of the first five ten minutes of the game, where the Capitals were clearly the better team, I think the Penguins were for the rest of the way. The final 50, uh, 50 55 minutes, the Penguins. Uh, established themselves as a better team in this hockey game. Casey Smith uh, played a really good game, kind of got a surprise start in, in this situation and was solid in goal, which is really all that you can ask for uh, when things are going like this. Just good performance from your goaltender. Uh, and they got that. And really the team, it just looked good. They got scoring. Uh, Jason Zucker, Brock McGinn, a name that has been much maligned. Uh, upon the among the Penguins fan base, uh, Jeff Carter got a goal. Jake Gensel gets an empty netter. So I mean, overall, uh, it just it's a, a a good win. You got kind of everything that you've wanted the Penguins to get. Finally, all came together and gave the Penguins what they needed uh, to get this win uh, against the Capitals. And again, it's always fun to beat the Capitals, but more so now that it, again, it didn't matter who you played, who you could beat. You just wanted to get a win, and that's finally what you got. And I mean, again, didn't matter what it looked like; uh, it just it just felt like a relief, a weight off their shoulders. And, and now you go into this weekend taking on uh, Toronto and Montreal. Um, it just feels like the Penguins just been on the road the whole year, and it's kind of, I think, kind of taking its toll a little bit. Uh, hopefully, they can get home here, get through November, 
um, and the schedule lets up a little bit, they get some more uh, more at home action. But uh, really, now that they got that win under their belt, it's all about building off that and seeing uh, what they can do um, after that to build on that and kind of get back uh, back on their own two feet and just keep playing and the results will come. And I don't want to dive too much into the game itself. It was just nice to get a win. Um, and really everything looked pretty solid. The lineup changes uh, seemed to work. And uh, Brian Dumlin sheltered minutes, but maybe that's where he needs to be. He wasn't exposed as much in this game. Uh, Jeff Petrie looked good. I don't, I didn't mean Jeff Carter scored, not Jeff Petrie scored uh, in this game. So just overall um, a, a solid performance. Um, the Penguins have had some solid performances during this losing streak. Uh, they didn't result in wins, but this one finally did. All the pieces came together. The goaltending was there. The offense was there. The defense was there. And really credit to Mike Sullivan for making the changes that were necessary to get them out of the lost column and back into the win column. You bring up an interesting point, Robbie. Uh, now that you mention it, uh, I started thinking about it while you were talking. And you mentioned all of the road games the Penguins have played to this point. And really the losing streak started when they went up into Canada and onto the the Western Conference road trip. Uh, the Penguins have historically, especially in the last couple of years, have been a pretty dominant team on home ice. So I do wonder if uh, with all of these road games, they're getting them out of the way. Uh, in the early portion of the schedule, I wonder how favorable that will make the schedule moving forward after the new year, you know, when it's crunch time and the games start to mean a little bit more. So that's an interesting point, one that I didn't think of, but now that I think about it, maybe it was part of the reason. Maybe they just didn't have their legs under them from all the travel that they were doing. But either way, uh, a win is a win, like both of us have already said. And uh, we'll see now the Penguins again on the road in Canada again, like Robbie mentioned, against Toronto and Montreal in the immediate future. Uh, but we'll talk about those games this time next week. And we have a, a uh, I think it's an 11 or 12 question mailbag, certainly one of the, more la- the larger mailbags that I've seen uh, since I introduced the mailbag segment. And if you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener and you're interested in contributing to this mailbag segment, you can do so by following the Pennsburg Podcast Twitter account at Pennsburg Pod. Every week we'll send out a mailbag tweet asking for your participation in this uh, mailbag segment. And Robbie, like we always do, you'll get question number one and we'll just go back and forth. Brian is here. He's back with another question. And he wants your thoughts, Robbie, on Ron Hextall. If Jim Rutherford was still in charge, he would have, without a doubt, made at least one move by now to try and get the team back in the right direction. Do you like the patience Hextall is taking, or would you rather have someone who makes moves at the first sign of trouble? That's a really good question, because two kind of different general managers with two different philosophies um, of how to handle things, and... I think Ron Hextall, one, he kind of handcuffed himself into not really being able to make any kind of moves uh, trades-wise without sending out a significant piece or a significant draft pick. I don't think you can just dump Brock McGinn um, without giving up an asset for someone to take that contract. So I think it's easy to say, oh, Jim Rutherford would have made a trade, but Ron Hextall kind of boxed himself in here, and I, I believe we touched on it. Uh, last week, credit Ron Hexall for getting 
the contracts for guys like Malkin, Russ, Latang, Raquel, all those guys done this offseason. But he really kind of dropped the ball when it came to the bottom six, which is where the black hole is uh, for the Penguins right now. He was never able to move a defenseman for just spate. I mean, just as a cat move, he got Ty Smith back for John Marino. Uh, it's just a very – it's easy to say that Ron Hextall is not the worst general manager, but a lot of this struggles and what he's kind of dealing with roster construction-wise – uh, is directly on him. You can't put that on Jim Rutherford. A lot of these guys, uh, Jim Rutherford wasn't the one that signed um, a lot of these deals. He didn't sign Brock McGinn uh, to that to that contract. That was Ron Hextall, and that is quite clearly uh, a mistake that the Penguins are dealing with right now, and that squarely uh, falls on uh, the work of Ron Hextall. And I think it's not so much that – I don't even think a guy like – Jim Rutherford can make a move right now, even though he would probably want to, because it's just the cap situation, the roster construction is so poor at certain parts that it's not easy to um, uh, to necessarily fix it with a, a magic wand or something like that. Uh, and as of what kind of general manager I'd like, I, I, I really don't know. I, I don't really know what the answer to that is, because... While sometimes that worked for Jim Rutherford, uh, sometimes it didn't. This He traded away Carl Haglin in a panic move uh, one year, and it turned out to not benefit the Penguins really at all. And not every trade he made was successful. There were some that he did. But other than that, um, that's kind of a, a mixed bag as well, the way he goes. And if you look at what Ron Hextall has done, he's put himself and the team in this position because of poor asset management. Uh, question number two comes from Brendan. Uh, what is the Penguins fan atmosphere like in Pittsburgh? I went to a Seahawks game, and despite having traveled from Nova Scotia to Washington to see my favorite team, I was so disappointed in the fans that uh, root for my team. They were unwelcoming and rude to us. Maybe I'm just... Maybe I'm used to the East Coaster hospitality. Robbie, it's not. It's not. You, you and I have been to our fair share of Penguin games. It's not. It's not a crazy, diehard. I, I don't. I, at least in my opinion, it's not a crazy, diehard, rabid, hockey market. Uh, and I, I compare that to maybe some of the original six markets and Canadian markets. Um, and I, I mean that with all due respect to the fan base because, um, you know, we, we have been spoiled for the better part of 30 years here. I hate to use the term fair weather fan, but uh, it, it, in this town, in Pittsburgh, it's Steelers football first. And after the Steelers season ends, then the majority of that attention turns to the Penguins by January, February. Fan atmosphere, I'd say it's okay. Playoff time is fun. I guess any team that makes the, the Stanley Cup playoffs is going to have some sort of a raucous atmosphere. But I've never encountered any terrible fan experiences or any terrible individual fans uh, in, at my time at PPG. So overall, I, I'd give the fan experience uh, a six and a half, seven out of ten. And I'm trying to be as unbiased as possible here. I just, from what I see, I think there's just too many fair weather fans that only turn on AT&T Sportsnet once the Steelers season ends. 
but hey, that's just how I view it. Some other, some people may view it differently. And I know there's, there's thousands of diehard Penguins fans that have season tickets and they'll show up to every game. So it, it's a mixed bag and it's probably like that in every North American market, uh, especially in the United States and especially in some of the more exotic markets like your Anaheim's, your Arizona's, your Dallas's, you know, where hockey hasn't really been a traditional cornerstone sport like it may have been in Chicago or Boston or Toronto or Montreal or, you know, some of those markets. But overall, yeah, I think it's a very welcoming atmosphere if you come to PPG for the first time. I think you'd really enjoy the experience. Uh, there's not a bad seat in the house in PPG. It's it's a it's a hockey arena specifically built for hockey, whereas the Civic Arena was not specifically built for that sport. And, you know, there was charm that came with the Civic Arena, but... Uh, you know, with, with PPG being developed specifically for that sport, it, it shows uh, the technology that the Penguins have implemented, especially uh, during the COVID seasons. Uh, that certainly shows that as well. So if you come to PPG for the first time as a fan or as a visitor, uh, I'd expect you to have an overall positive experience. Question number three, uh, again, Robbie, comes from Brian. Craig Button mentioned on TSN about three weeks ago that the Penguins could benefit from uh, from acquiring Patrick Kane. How would you feel about this? And if not Patrick Kane, maybe trying to acquire Jonathan Taves instead? Now, if I have to pick of the two, I would probably rather acquire Jonathan Taves. Uh, it's going to be cheaper. Uh, neither are going to be super cheap because – one, Patrick Kane is still a producer on the ice, while Taves has definitely declined from his peak. Just the name Jonathan Taves is going to bring a higher price than what people might expect, in my opinion. Um, I Kane, I just don't know if the Penguins have the assets to do that, and I really don't know. I mean, obviously having a guy like that uh, on the roster would be great. I don't know how they make it work with the cap uh, and then just the trade assets to begin with. Taves, there would have to be money, um, uh, money taken uh, by by the Blackhawks, and the price would is going to be higher than people think. So, if I had to pick one, the the Penguins could work a trade for. I think I'd rather go with Taves because I think he would help the bottom six more than Patrick Kane would. Kane would obviously be a top six forward. Um, Taves will not. I mean, a higher price than people expect, but not nearly as high as Kane. And obviously, you'd have to have money retained by the Blackhawks. So if I had to pick one of the two, I would probably lean Taves, just because if you look at the Penguins roster right now, Taves, though not the producer he was at his peak uh, back when the Blackhawks were winning all those Stanley Cups, he definitely still has the skill set to help the Penguins in a more needed area in the bottom six than I believe Patrick Kane would. So if I'm going pros and cons, uh, between just those two players, I think the pros on Jonathan Taves outweigh the pros on Patrick Kane if the Penguins were put in a position where they had to pick trading for one or the other. Uh, number four, again from Brian. Uh, I know I ask a lot of cabinet questions, but do you think it's time to waive him? Uh, it's clearly not working out. You know, Brian, I don't know if it was you that asked the question, but I distinctly remember uh, on the mailbag, there was the first podcast we did during the regular season. The Penguins had played like the first uh, four or five games and Kapanen had, I think he had a goal 
He had a goal and four assists in the first couple of games, and I was like, wow, man, you know, he looks like a completely different player. He's he's utilizing his speed. He was a point-per-game player at that point. Fast forward to November 11th, 2022, and he still only has five points, one goal scored. Uh, He doesn't have a point in his last five games played. He's a minus three in the last five games he's played. Looking at some of his advanced metrics, uh, his possession numbers are not great. His Corsi 4 and Fenwick 4 are both at 47%. uh, 47%. Uh, compare that to his 2021-22 season where his possession metrics were uh, above 55%. And it's a smaller sample size. It's a much smaller sample size. So that could improve ever so slightly. But the early returns on Casper Kapanen again leave Penguins fans frustrated that he is invisible on the ice. He is not producing any tangible offense. I was just reading an article a couple of days ago, and the crux of the article is what you asked. Is it time to waive Casper Kapanen? And I don't know if – I simply don't know if Ron Hextall is just going to uh, wave the white flag on that considering the hefty extension they gave to Kapanen. Uh, the first couple of games Kapanen played, I was like, okay, okay. You know, I wasn't on board with the $3.2 million extension for two years, but I was like, okay, if he can produce like this, maybe uh, maybe he is starting to unlock some hidden potential. But uh, the, the more games that continue to be played, the more he continues to look invisible and the same player that uh, drew the ire of Penguins fans last year as well. So, um if I was running the team, yes, Kapanen would not be playing. He would be a healthy scratch, and he was a healthy scratch uh, during the Capitals' win. He was in street clothes, and judging how Mike Sullivan uh, likes to go with what works and rides the hot hand, I imagine that Kasperi Kapanen remains a healthy scratch, uh, at least during the Toronto and maybe the Montreal game. Uh, we'll have to see. Of course, we're not the coach. We don't have that sort of insider information, but... Um, yeah, the returns on Casperi Kapanen have not been encouraging. I would try to cut my losses any way, shape, or form that I could. I don't, I don't know what the salary cap difference would be burying him in the minors. Um, but even, even then, uh, he, he's certainly not accomplishing anything here. Maybe he goes to the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins and plays with some more confidence, finds, uh, playing against some lower level competition, because it's just not working. Um, I would cut my losses, just eat the dead cap for however many seasons it would be. Can't imagine it would be long since it was only a two-year extension. Maybe if he goes on waivers, maybe somebody claims him and the Penguins aren't, uh, aren't uh, held accountable for that contract. But uh, I doubt that considering what he's making and what he's producing on the ice. So uh, we'll just have to wait and see what the future holds for one Casper Kapanen once again. Question number five, two questions for you, Robbie, but they're relatively the same question. Uh, They come from Brian and Brendan, and they both center on Tristan Jari. Uh, Do you think the team will re-sign Tristan Jari, or if not, who do you think think would replace him? And uh, Brendan asks, what is your feeling on Jari? He's obviously a free agent next year, making $3.5 right now. If he's a top five goalie this year, what do you pay him? If he's top ten, what do you pay him? And uh, what's the price point if you cut your losses and say, we can't pay you, and who do you replace them with? 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So if I had to place a bet at this moment what the Penguins would do, my bet would go on the they're going to re-sign Tristan Jari. I, I know he struggled the beginning of this season. I don't think that's permanent. I think he will bounce back with the defense bouncing back. And once that top six or that bottom six uh, improves as well, and the analytics kind of regress back to the mean a bit, I think the Jari will be fine. I think he remains in Pittsburgh. But if the wheels really have fallen off, who do you replace him with? Man, none of the goalies in the system are ready necessarily to make that leap. I don't know what the free agent class exactly looks like uh, this coming offseason. So your options are pretty much sign a veteran backup type goalie that can maybe split starts with Tristan or Chris um, Casey Smith uh, and hope for the best. But I really think that just looking at it, looking at the options uh, in the system and on the free agent market, I think the Penguins re-signed uh, Tristan Jari at some point this season before um, he becomes a free agent uh, in the summer. I wouldn't be surprised if you see it during the season. I think right now he's not a top five or ten goalie in the league, so I think you can get a fair price for his services for on like a two or three year contract, kind of like a prove it contract uh, for Jari. So I, I think somewhere in that three and a half uh, million, four million range per season, you don't want, you can definitely overspend on a goalie, but there's still a lot that Jari needs to, uh, to kind of prove to the Penguins that he earns a, a richer contract than what he currently has. Uh, so yeah, if I'm placing bets, I'm leaning toward, uh, Tristan Jari re-signing in Pittsburgh uh, on a shorter-term deal rather than a long-term deal. Uh, question number six from Brian again. Uh, do you think the league will ever recognize Mario's greatness and retire his number? While I do think the league, on some extent, recognizes his greatness, I don't know if it'll ever be league-wide. I was doing some research, and Robbie, you might remember this, and Brian and whoever else is listening to this might remember this too. Do you remember... A couple of years ago, the New York Islanders prospect Josh Hosang, he he, I think he's playing in the KHL right now. He's had a s- somewhat of a troubling career, just I think based on like off ice issues and um, and uh, his demeanor and temperament and that that sort of thing. So he's not playing in the NHL right now. But I remember when he was first called up, he was wearing number sixty six, and to my knowledge, nobody in the current day NHL wears number 66. I could be wrong, 
but I remember when Hosang was called up there. I remember reading that there was a, there was a fuss made because he was wearing 66 and I, obviously a lot of people here in Pittsburgh, but I know it made national hockey headlines too, because 66 just hasn't been a number that has been worn. And I think it's because out of respect for Mario, it hasn't been retired league wide. I don't know if it ever will be. I think Gretzky cemented himself as the the obvious marketable face of the NHL in the 80s and 90s, and Lemieux was obviously right there. You know, th- those were the two players. Uh, I, I just don't know if if there's ever going to be strong enough support uh, a campaign that goes league wide to retire his number. Uh, would I love it? Of course I would. I mean. One of the greatest players of all time to play in our city. Again, it just goes to show how spoiled we've been. But going back to the Josh Hosang thing, um, he does not wear number 66 any, anymore. I was looking at his stats before uh, reading or before Robbie read this question. I think his number right now is number 88. And again, I think he's playing in the KHL right now. He was with the Toronto Marlies during the 2021-22 season. And he hasn't played in the NHL since the 2018-2019 season. So... I don't think the number gets retired, but I, I I think it's sort of an unwritten rule that I think will continue to be maintained that current players probably will stay away from from number sixty six out of respect for Mario and his accomplishments. Question number seven comes from Brendan. If and I don't think this will happen, the Penguins miss the playoffs. We have a lottery shot at uh, Connor Bedard. If we won that lottery, hypothetically, how does the top six shake out next year? Would Evgeny Malkin or Connor Bedard be the center number two, or would Bedard be on the first line right wing? If the Penguins are, if it's like February and the Penguins are trending to miss in the playoffs, there's going to be a lot of wish casting in for the Penguins to get that top overall picking at Connor Bedard. Uh, my my theory is if the Penguins are on the outside of the the playoff picture, they are going to be a bubble team until the very end, meaning the odds of them uh, getting that first overall pick will be uh, slim to none. But I guess it's always fun to dream um, like it was a couple years ago when the Penguins were in the lottery for, uh, I believe, um, Alexis Lafan- uh, Lafaniere, who went to the New York Rangers uh, in 2020. So, yeah, where he ends up, I would assume that Bedard is a guy that's going to be a – uh, NHL are right out of the right out of juniors uh, right away. Uh, where they put them, I guess, would depend on uh, where they best see him fit. A second center, um, it feels like that's Malkin's until Malkin uh, just can't do it anymore. Uh, and Bedard is going to be a guy though; he'll probably jump right to the NHL. We'll need to get his feet wet, and the Penguins or whoever does draft him will be very, I believe, cautious with getting him. Um, introduced to the NHL style play, um, the speed of the game, the size, um, and just everything that factors into what makes the NHL uh, such a big step for these junior guys. So, um, if the Penguins would get him, I mean, obviously that would mean they don't they don't make the playoffs. Uh, but if they would be able to uh, to get him, I think that they would play him wherever they best see fit for him to make the transition uh, from the junior ranks to the NHL. Uh, question number eight from Brian. Uh, what moves do you want to see to try to fix the bottom six? 
I know with the cap situation we're in, it's next to impossible to really do anything. Yeah, Brian, you, you uh, asked and answered your, your same question. It's, it really is impossible to do anything. One of the previous questions talked about Casper Kapanen and the possibility of waiving him. If, if somebody, you know, were to claim Casper Kapanen, that would free up what, $3 million. Then, then you have a lot more flexibility to do something and uh, try and improve that bottom six. But fact of the matter is I don't really, I don't really see a way the Penguins do improve that bottom six unless they're shipping out uh, a rather expensive contract. And I don't even begin to know who that would even be. You know, Marcus Pedersen's always there. Uh, Brian Dumoulin's name has now been thrown into that ring recently. I, I don't even know who the Penguins would even ship out to make those finances uh, work because everyone else in the league, like 27 out of the 32 teams, uh, want nothing to do with getting other players because they're hamstrung by the salary cap right now. And it looks like the salary cap is going to start increasing. Uh, depends on the escrow payments that the players are paying back. Uh, it looks like the salary cap is going to start increasing by a rather hefty margin, I'd say, over the next maybe year to two years, three years from now. So uh, with the salary cap on a healthy trajectory, we maybe won't have to have these kinds of conversations in the future. But, yeah, it's next to impossible to do something. You just have to hope that the, the performance that Brock McGinn gave in the Capitals game is something that happens a bit more frequently for the Penguins to have a more well-rounded and complete team. Question number nine, also from Brian. Do you think it's time to try and bring Rick Tockett back onto the coaching staff? Uh, I don't know where you'd put him. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, I don't I don't see the Penguins. I really don't see the Penguins making, if they're going to make a panic move, I really don't see it on the coaching staff at all. Um, we've talked about Mike Sullivan before. He's more than safe. Uh, the players love him, and he clearly has the, the trust of, uh, the ownership group, uh, Fenway Sports. So I really don't see any situation where Talkett would come back. And one, I think Talkett would probably take a head coaching job, but he's making a decent money, a decent paycheck with uh, TNT right now doing uh, desk coverage, uh, studio coverage, uh, studio work for them. Um, I really don't see um, really the place they put him on this staff or – where they would uh, fit him in. I, he's not a front office guy. He's a guy that wants to be coaching. I do think he'll get another shot at a head coaching job in the NHL um, when the time is right. But right now, uh, I think he's plenty comfortable working for TN, TNT, um, doing studio work and uh, just analysis and stuff like that. I really um, overall don't see a a place for him uh, in the franchise right now on or on Mike Sullivan's staff. Uh, 10 from Brendan. Uh, Sam Poulin, uh, thoughts so far? You know, as I was uh, getting my stuff prepared to hit the record button, I was pulling up some Sam Poulin stats. And wouldn't you know it, because of the injuries the Penguins have sustained on their blue line, they both, they lost P.O. Joseph and Jan Ruda left the game Due to left the Capitals game due to injury concerns, the Penguins recalled Mark Friedman and reassigned Sam Poulin. But uh, I'll still answer the question. In the three games Poulin played, he recorded an assist. He was a minus three. He averaged about ten minutes of ice time a game, and the possession numbers again. This is an incredibly 
limited sample size, but I mean, he had a 57.7 Corsi four and a 56.8 Fenwick four percentage. So that's obviously encouraging. I, I'd like to see that over a much larger sample size, but the tr- the transition from wing to center for Poulin, at first I was I was curious by the move, but uh, the more I read about his transition when he was in Wilkes-Barre and I, from what I saw while he was here in his very, very brief stint, I, I was impressed. You know, I don't think he's going to be a, a massive point producer. I don't think that's his game. I think he's obviously a more physical grinder kind of player but if you know if this development continues uh he's going to go back down to the farm after getting a little bit of taste of action uh i imagine that's going to motivate him even more to better his game as he continues to play in a wilkes so i was impressed that's what i'll say about the early returns on sam Poulin. uh question number 11 comes from nick and he asks what's really going on with teddy bluger I just think he's hurt. I mean, one, it's early in the season. You don't want to rush a guy back uh, from an injury, especially when they're uh, nagging injuries uh, like an ankle or uh, a core injury that could be made worse by playing on it. Uh, a core injury we've seen in the past, uh, a tear in, in the muscle, it's sur- it's needs surgery to be repaired, and they're out for uh, months. They're pretty much a month-to-month kind of timeline for recovery. Ankles, notoriously bad. Penguins have gone through that in the past. Um, they even say that having a high ankle sprain is actually worse than just outright breaking in the ankle. Uh, broken ankles, like six to eight weeks uh, recovery once the bone's healed. And it's pretty much, uh, unless you would break it again, there's no real risk of re-injuring it very easily. Whereas a high ankle sprain can go from two weeks to two months to six months. Um, and it can be nagging really uh, for the rest of your career if it doesn't heal properly. So uh, they don't really, they, again, obviously it's the NHL. They're not going to give you s- super specific information on what uh, the exact injury is. But early in the season, y- you can't rush a guy back uh, until you're comfortable and think he's fully healed because you don't want to aggravate something and then you turn around and uh, he's out for double the time than he was the first time. So uh, it's just like it's an injury. It's taking time to heal. The Penguins aren't in any rush to throw him back in the lineup, even with the struggles, just because it's just not worth a risk that you could lose him for your more important stretch in February, March, April. Uh, you'd rather kind of keep everything afloat with with him out of the lineup in October, November, and December. So, yeah, we'll see when he comes back. You'll never probably know exactly what it was, and maybe it will be at the end of the season when they kind of all spill the beans, but... Um, I mean, overall, I think he's just hurt. They're letting him recover. No rush um, from the training staff or the coaching staff, uh, and they're comfortable with that. So I just, it's, I think when a guy is mysteriously out for this long, after, especially when it's not an injury, you could see because it happened in training camp, uh, it becomes kind of a, uh, kind of like a, I don't want to say conspiracy that he's out. It's just more of a, a wondering, hey, what's going on with this guy? Uh, why isn't he playing even though he is skating i really think it's just a nagging injury that it's one of those that if he plays with it it could definitely make it worse uh if something twists wrong or uh, you take a shot in the wrong place depending on what the injury exactly is but yeah i just think it's nothing to read too much into it's more or less just a cautionary let's just let this guy get healthy and we make sure that we have him for uh, the stretch one when we really need him and finally, 
Uh, number 12 from Cole Del Vecchio. I'm guessing this is specifically for Garrett. Uh, did you grab Blink-182 tickets? It's, I had to include it uh, because uh, Cole and I have talked. We've had a couple of exchanges on Twitter uh, talking about Blink-182 and Tom DeLonge's side project, uh, Angels and Airwaves. I most certainly did grab my Blink-182 <laughs> tickets. Uh, Cole, if you're listening, I have to imagine you grabbed yours as well. Uh, yeah, I'm very much excited for the reunion tour next May. I'm, I'll be going with my sister and my brother-in-law. We're all really excited. It'll be a nice birthday present for me. My birthday's on May 6th, and I think Blink comes to Pittsburgh May 17th. So that'll be a nice birthday present that I'm looking forward to. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm excited about... I, I didn't think we'd ever get a Blink-182 question in a Pennsburg podcast mailbag segment but you know i can go to sleep happy tonight knowing that uh i didn't know what i needed but i realized after the fact that i i, I did need a, a blink 182 question in my mailbag robbie i don't know are you are you a blink 182 fan did you grow up listening to to blink 182 and other bands of like the pop punk genre yeah a little bit uh not again i'm not like a huge music head or anything like that um but i mean yeah blink 182 i grew up they were really big uh, when I was growing up, so I was definitely familiar with their work. Um, and I know for a lot of people that this is a very big deal. Obviously, um, them going back, them reuniting and going back on tour um, is definitely exciting. Again, yeah, and I, I mean, I have a playlist of just music I like, and there is a couple of their songs on it. Um, obviously, they have their very obvious, well-known. Uh, uh, hits, but yeah, I think they're a good band. I enjoy listening to them. I'm not, I, but again, I'm not a concert person necessarily either, unless it's somebody that I'm really, really, I want to see. I've seen um, like Elton John, Garth Brooks, like high or big name uh, headlining acts, stuff like that. Not that Blink's not, but um, yeah, I mean, I grew up with with their music. I'm definitely familiar with it. So, but I know for a lot of people, this was a really big deal. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I can't believe it, Robbie. We we got through that twelve question mailbag. The Penguins only played what two, maybe three games at most, including the Capitals game since last week's episode. So with the back to back this weekend, uh, we'll have a lot more hockey talk to bring you in next week's episode as well. And who knows, maybe we'll get another double digit mailbag. But that will be for next week's episode. For Robbie Noggle, I have been. Garrett Behanna, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Pennsburg Podcast, and we will talk to all of you again this time next week.